to another wonderful, wonderful Family Friday show. It's been a while since I've done this, but I haven't forgotten completely. I want to make sure that everybody on the spaces can hear me really well. So Franklin, how you doing, buddy? Would you go ahead and give me a thumbs up if you can hear me really well? Everybody on YouTube, I see you over there. Thank you very much for joining me. Facebook, spaces, YouTube video. I love you all very, very much. You might be wondering, what is he drinking in that lovely, beautiful mug that he got from his sponsor, NewHeartTreasures.com? Well, it's coffee. It's coffee. But it doesn't taste like normal coffee because New Heart Treasures, they make amazing products. This particular mug, Don Knox. Yes, I like that. You're welcome very much. You're allowed to, to come in. I love this mug. Have I told you how much I love this mug? I love this mug so much. My sponsor loves me. And you know what my sponsor decided to do? My sponsor, NewHeartTreasures.com, where you can go to their website and get all kinds of amazing stuff. They sent me more stuff. I couldn't believe it. I opened up a package from them and they had this lovely, I, I should have brought it. I'm gonna bring it on Monday. It's this mug, another long slender cylinder that keeps stuff cold or hot and it had sing psalms on it. It had psalm sheets. It's pretty cool. And then they sent this lovely shirt. Hannah over at NewHeartTreasures.com sent my wife a lovely shirt that says, I wear my heart on my sleeves. You know what was on the sleeves? My children's names. Ah, that is awesome. I love it. Hannah over at New Heart Treasures not only makes lovely stuff for you to wear. Oh, let me talk about this shirt that she sent my wife, by the way. The thing was, you know what I'm saying? It was cut for a woman. I wouldn't look good in the shirt. Let me put it like that. She looked excellent in the shirt. It was well made, well done. Um, and I noticed real, right away, I was like, oh, this is for a woman. Easily. I mean, it's hard to tell these days, but they don't have that trans stuff going over there at NewHeartTreasures.com. So you ain't got to worry about it. Lovely stuff. Go check out NewHeartTreasures.com. They have, I always say this, particularly because when I have guys like Mr. Reese on the show, I know he likes it. Because uh, they make stuff like Bible verses that you can put on your wall. Because you should have your house with Bible verses everywhere made beautifully. You know that he considers it a sin not to do that. Just saying, David Reese. Yeah, you can take it up with him. You should go follow him at Real David Reese on Twitter. So you can argue with him about whether or not you're sinning having grape juice and community. I'm sorry. Having Bible verses up uh, uh not having bible verses up in your home well newhearttreasures.com can solve that problem for you go check them out get their stuff it's awesome i love what hannah's doing she's a great businesswoman and she's doing great things all right so uh, sorry let me take another mm, mm. One, one more mm. ah, so good oh coffee's great but stuff from New Heart Treasures makes everything better. It's a cool mug. So I have my friend with me, the Bishop, David Reese, here with me on the show today. And, oh, I'm so happy that we're going to do Family Friday. So, you know, I me have too. not been doing – what would you say? Me too. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely, man. Okay, so you didn't know what today's show was going to be about until Never. probably like five <laughs> – about five minutes ago or something like that, I think I told you, like, okay, here's what's going to be the show today. I, when I was out there in um, Arizona, I had some time that I spent with you. And one of the things that you did, 
you know, we've been talking a lot about prophet, priest, and king, the office of a husband, the office of a, a, a pastor. And then we were going to move over into the issue on officers in the civil magistrate, right? And as we've been talking, one of the things that's become very apparent to me in the conversation is that whatever this normal is that you and I have been engaging with and talking what normal is, it is a far, far, far step from where we currently are. Yes. And so while we've been working through um, the traditional biblical ideas of these offices of husband, wife, um, prophet, priest, king, and then officers of the church, a pastor, elder, deacon, and their wives, one of the things that I've noticed is that we haven't been able, uh, or hardly people talk about how to get from insanity, chaos, where we're currently at, to normal. And right. when we were having lunch, we were going in the right, and you brought up, and I, I think I asked you the question, I was like, hey man, you know, here's, what's the duty of a prophet? And you laid out the duties of a prophet. And I said, I know you're not charismatic, so then what do you think a prophet should be doing in our current time? And um, and basically, for the most part, you're casting vision, uh, showing where we need to be going, right? They have a prophetic gift of seeing from Scripture. Maybe I'm, let me let, me let you explain. Would you just explain what you could look the office of a prophet that you see a prophet for right now? Absolutely. So what you just said is right in terms of like thinking about where we need to be going in terms of of this idea of, of, you know, identifying honestly where things are and then seeing where we need to be going. But there's the duty of teaching the truth and correcting error, right? The principal work mm. of the, the prophet is to teach truth and to correct error. And the truths that need to be taught are based upon a proper discernment about you know, the diagnosis of the times, right? And so that idea of, of you're, you're addressing prophetically the problems that need to be dealt with, and that includes this idea of the prophetic lawsuit of coming against institutions and saying, hey, here's the problem. You guys need to repent of this. And then this idea of what's lacking, right? So, so the Word of God allows us to see, and to, you know, to see what's lacking and then to see what's crooked that needs to be made straight. Okay. And so I asked you, I said, okay, so then how do we get to the proper uses of these offices when we're in such a mess because nobody knows how to get there. And you brought up this idea of chaos and, and I haven't forgotten it since. And I'm like, Oh, wow. And then you read, cause all these offices and these orders, they start function differently in a time of uncertainty and um, lack of order and chaos. And so while we're describing what's normal, the truth is that these offices the father, the wife, the uh, prophet, priest, and king, the office of the elder and his wives and deacons and their wives, they start adjusting a little bit to try and move things from where they currently are to where they should be. So they have a more radical use in, right. a, in a chaotic time. It, could you kind of work through um, kind of the traditional understanding of these offices and then their chaotic flow and function in the current time? All right, so we have the four covenant institutions, right, that we're dealing with. These are the places where God grants authority for men to function so that they can exercise dominion according to their proper station. And so we have the state, the church, the household, and the individual. And so the state has the, the, the authority. Normally, its goal is to preserve the church and the household and the individual and to punish those who are destroyers. And so, however, for example, 
one of the things that Luther argues when he writes his, uh, he has these three significant manifestos that are sort of put out all at once early on in 1520. And one of them is his letter to the Christian nobility of the German nation. And in that he argues for the emergency bishop role of the magistrate and the idea that that needs to come in. So the Westminster Confession, for example, lists three ways in which you can see the church get ordered or settled. One is the ordinary condition where officers are in place, they're meeting together, they have their ordinary courts, they deal with everything, and just kind of the everything's there. It's all settled already. Then there's this idea of, hey, things are in chaos, and officers sort of step in to try to create the order that needs to be there. And so you have things like ad hoc presbyteries to deal with issues. And then the other one is, when there's when there's not a uh, when there's not even this this order that can be kind of put together by the local churches working together, um, what you have is the need for the magistrate to come in and help to uh, endow and settle the church, and then it backs away. And so that idea of the endowing and the settling of the church by the magistrate is an important part of getting things in order when there's chaos. The, Whoa. the yeah, and everybody loves that in America. Whoa. So, uh, so that's why the American Westminster Confession changed. So the Philadelphia Confession is not the same as the Westminster Confession. The Westminster Confession is the one written at Westminster. The one that's Philadelphia was not written at Westminster. So um, the <laughs> second thing uh, is that there is a... Can, a, I, can we... Can we I, I, nope. Okay, two things. I know, <laughs> nope, go ahead. Ah! <laughs> So, so at the, <laughs> at the church level, right? At the church level, you look at things and you say, you know, imagine you've only got one elder. You need to have multiple elders. We're supposed to have multiple elders. So, at, at a certain point, you have kind of this devolution of authority that occurs, where maybe you have deacons acting as elders temporarily, like what happens in the Reformation of Hezekiah, where the Levites start to act like priests. Right? They mm. are participating in the sacrifices because of the necessity of the time. You, you have that occur, you have the, the men might start to function as deacons or elders if you have a limited number, right? So there's this, this issue. Your goal is to settle out into the mature condition, but people have to stand in the gap. This is called interposition, where you have people who are not officers coming and acting with emergency function to do something to prevent disaster, and then they back out. Well-orderedness looks like backing back out. That's the danger of emergency powers, is the fact that people tend to abuse them to turn them into permanent powers, right? The Bible has emergency powers. There's a provision in the Bible for emergency powers, but there's also the evaluation of when you're no longer in the emergency. So what we need to know, we need to know mm. what the settled condition is, because that's the only way we know when we're not in an emergency anymore. And we have to know what the emergency powers are for so that when people are not acting according to the emergency powers, we know when they're abusing emergency powers. All right. So that's, man, that, you know, it's funny talk about providence that's really good so we're talking about chaos mm -hmm. someone just sent a message i believe on youtube and alicia wood she says knox please my 27 year old daughter of five year um uh 27 year old daughter of five year old twins boy and girl has decided she is a lesbian and is involved with a woman i'm crying what you said she has been baptized but has not lived as a christian for years she goes on to say, how do I treat her? How do, uh, what do I do about family functions? How do I treat this woman? I'm devastated. So here we are, <laughs> right? We just are talking about this very thing and things are completely out of order. We have chaos, even in our own homes. 
oh, you're turning your pages in the Bible right now. So this is about to get real. How do you how do you help this sister right here? Because she's right smack dab in the middle of what you just got done talking about. Absolutely. So at the family level, you have to deal with the fact that there's not church discipline a lot of the time. And so how do you deal with the absence of church discipline? The magistrate doesn't do things to deal with criminal activities. So, so a lot of the times decisions that families should be protected from by public institutions like the state and the church, the, the state doesn't do its job and the church doesn't do its job. And a lot of the times both the state and the church and the society abroad, in, you know, in general is going to condemn a family if it does what's righteous. So, mm. so here's the deal. We are told that with people who are unbelievers in general, we are able to deal with the presence of sin, even horrific sin, in their lives, and we evangelize to them, right? Our goal is to disciple them, to evangelize to them. That doesn't mean hang out with them and never talk about the gospel. This, this resolves itself real quick. Like, if you're being a Christian and you're behaving like a Christian should amongst unbelievers, they're either going to convert, respect you, and be silent, or they're going to push you out explicitly or push you out by their wicked behavior. Okay. So if you're hanging out with unbelievers and everybody's just fine and you're not talking about what the Bible says a lot, you're doing it wrong. So what we have to do is deal with unbelievers in a certain way. Then there's the question of apostates or those who have abandoned the faith. And so the question is, you know, if this person was a baptized person, if they received a valid baptism, then went away from Christianity, they are apostate. So the question is, is there a valid baptism? A baptism is valid if, one, the true gospel is being preached by the baptizer. They don't have to believe it. You can't know if they're going to believe it. It's not about their intention that's secretly in their heart. It's about the professed intention. Okay. So what is the confessed gospel that is being taught with that baptism? And that would include things like the solos, tulip, the trinity, and the incarnation. Heresy on those points, another gospel. Secondly, when the person was baptized, were they baptized with water by sprinkling, pouring, or dipping? Immersing for our Baptist friends. And was it done with the name of the trinity? It was the baptism in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So if it was done with the external preaching of the true gospel and there was water and it was with a Trinitarian formula, it's a valid baptism. If it's a valid baptism and the person has renounced the Christian religion, they are apostate. And if they are apostate, you not only have to treat them like a heathen, an unbeliever, but you actually treat them like a tax collector, which means like a pariah like a person who's dangerous to be around. Why don't you want to hang out with tax collectors? Because if they see your stuff, they will extort you to take it from you. Mm. So how would you treat somebody that you were worried was going to extort you and seek your harm every time they engaged with you? That is how we treat the apostate. The apostate, you do not casually hang out. If you are a member of the same household, then there are certain things you can't avoid unless you are forced to leave that household, right? By being pushed out as a child or having to engage in a divorce, a lawful divorce, right? So those are the kinds of things. But if the person's outside of your household, there are not really obligations that you have that are day-to-day -day obligations. And furthermore, 
it's lawful to do commerce and business with unbelievers and with apostates, and it is lawful to argue with them about the truth. However, it is a waste of time to argue with them forever and chase them down forever. Paul says, even, for example, in the case of divorce, that when a person will not live with you according to the principles that are required for dwelling together, householding together, that you are free. And so that's true for other household relationships as well. But so those are the things. So you treat a person who is validly baptized, who has apostatized like an apostate, which means like a person who was excommunicated. Now, um, the question, though, just because this person received a baptism from somebody, the question is, what's the baptism? If the baptism was Romanist or Eastern Orthodox or it was, um, you it know. It says it's Baptist. Okay, so it was Baptist. So this person, this Baptist church, the question would be, did that church deny the solas, tulip, the trinity, the incarnation? Okay, if it denied any of those, it may still have been a heretical non-church. Um, if it did not deny any of those things, even if there was an unclarity about some of it, you got to treat it like a valid baptism. So then— wouldn't the church be responsible to reach out and say, hey, uh, we hear that this is your particular lifestyle now. We urge you. I mean, they should put her in some form of church discipline, make yeah. it very clear where her soul is standing right now between her and the Lord and where her standing is at the church. These should be, I mean, this is something that a good shepherd should be doing with people who were at least their sheep. And so they know like, hey, okay. And it's good for... um yeah, she says no. Alicia says no. We're straight in those areas. It's a valid baptism. So then, the church should should have and should reach out in some way to make it very clear that the standing of this person. So that there's one operation there, right? Well, how does the so the ordinary course is you don't do this privately. You do it through the public process, and right? Law, through the courts of the church. This is the courts. If your church doesn't have a court, it's not a church. By the way. Here you you just keep starting so many fires, David. That's I'm why just I'm friends. <laughs> no, that's right. This is why you're covered Thank you. in red. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> um, so then the question though is then so then how how does a family how does a family then try and navigate both reaching out to this person for their own soul as well as um protecting the rest of the members that are in the family? What does that dynamic look like? Because I think you know, you got Thanksgiving that just passed. You got Christmas that's coming up. What does that dynamic look like for Alicia and her family? Yeah, so family feasts should not include people that you do not want to include in celebrating and enjoying blessings. Family feasts are a perfect example of casual interaction, right? So that's the place where you're going, hey, come in, enjoy blessings with us, enjoy our positive countenance and all that. And so we all go, oh, yeah, we want to be really welcoming and do all that kind of stuff. It's like, no, when somebody is an apostate, you do not make them comfortable in their sin. You mm -hmm. don't. So you do not give the positive countenance. You don't, you don't positively just hang out. You don't just, you don't just hang around each other, try to make the good feels, and then try to figure out how to use those good feels to then talk about Jesus. You present to them, look, this is sin. You, you were baptized. You have a mark of the Lord Jesus Christ on you. And if I do not rebuke you and put distance between us in terms of eliminating kind of the good times, I'm dishonoring the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm showing greater loyalty to you than to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm happy to talk to you. We should talk about these things. I don't think you've thought about this seriously. I don't think you're taking seriously the danger of your own soul. You are rejecting the law of God 
and acting like things that are evil, according to the law of God, are righteous, and they're not. And there will be eternal consequences to this if you do not repent. And so you need to believe the gospel, you need to repent of your sin, and you need to seek to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. Not that your obedience is how you're saved, but if you do not seek to obey, then I have no reason to believe your profession. And so you are showing yourself to have not been a part of the people of God because of your rejection of the teaching here. I love you enough to tell you this. And so that conversation is probably going to result most of the time in a deflection off. And normally it's because there's been a lot of neglect in the earlier parts of the relationship where people didn't rebuke earlier sins, right? So what happens a lot of time is we fail to deal with lesser sins, and when sins manifest themselves in huge and gross ways, then we're all like, ah, we got to deal with this thing. And so we are all dealing with it when somebody's at the point of apostasy or when they are living in some public sin while claiming to be Christian. And so if we don't deal with things in the smaller form, it's going to be really ham-handed when we get to that end point. And the ham-handedness feels awkward. And so we all want to go, well, this doesn't seem like I'm doing it right. You're not. You should have dealt with it earlier when it was in smaller form. Mm. But we're here now. And this now, repent now and, and do the right thing ham-handedly rather than for the sake of compassion, not doing the right thing. There, That's there, not compassion. There's something, I think there's something really, really important to what you're just saying. And I, I think this is one of those things covenantally that we need to understand. Um, and this, you know, Alicia, thank you for bringing this topic up. I'll be praying for you, sis. But this is really important. When we find, and no one wants to talk about this, I think this has gotten a lot of covenantal people in trouble. When we find sin that has manifested itself in our family somehow, we the first thing the head of that family needs to do is take responsibility and repent. Mm -hmm. And we think somehow that these things are random and they're not. They're not random. And when we see this, you know, there's probably, like you said, there's been signs before and I've had to do this. I see things manifest themselves in my kids and I see, I'm like, where did that come from? And it's not always that I can make the logical connection that this was something that I have allowed in through the back door maybe, or I haven't been guarding against or I haven't been faithful in something. And then it's all, and so I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm like, Lord, forgive me for somehow I've allowed this to come in, in this covenant home. I'm responsible for this. Forgive me, Lord. Help me to deal with this sin well. And then I'm able to properly see how to go and deal with the sin in my kids really well too, right? But we have to first, and this is why in this conversation on politics and this conversation that we're having with the civil magistrate, if we don't start looking at ourselves first before we start trying to fix any of this, we are going to get this wrong every time. We have to go before the Lord with a broken and contrite spirit and heart and say, Lord, somehow we have failed and, and we have not given you the right due. We haven't honored you. We haven't been thankful. Forgive us, Lord. And then ask God to come in there and then to do only what he can do through the Holy Spirit and fix the parts that we failed at, right? And right. so there is a brokenness that we need to have in this moment that is super important. I'm not going to, there's a, okay. I don't want to spend the whole sh whole show on this topic necessarily, but I just thought it was perfect since we're talking about how chaotic things are and where the and how to deal with these um, 
how to deal with in this particular moment. So where did you where did you stop at? You were st- at priest, right? You were at priest, and you were. Well, so I, I think I think last so last time what we had talked through was sort of the elder, and we were. Talking I mean, just about, just this past time, just now. Where, yeah. Where did you, okay. Yeah. So I I, I was just expressing that, that there's this order that the state helps with. So we were we were going from the state and how when the church is in chaos, the state has a emergency role to help to endow. Yes. To help to settle the church, and then the church goes from there. Uh, the church, when when there's chaos, you know, and if there's not a Christian state to step in and help, you know, it's just got to seek to order things. And you might have a devolved authority that goes to the the deacons and to the men, and 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 so there's this sort of there's this devolving of authority. And Luther even goes to this extreme example. He's like, look, if there's an island where all you've got is a bunch of children, or even girls that are children. Right, somebody somewhere there is going to be preaching the word to the people there, and they're going to be baptizing, and and there's going to be the administration of the Lord's Supper, or else these people are going to be totally separated for the rest of their lives from it. So there's this idea of the devolution of authority that occurs, and so um, lawful calling to do these things is either through the ordinary process, the regular and valid call that goes through the you know. You nominate a person for office, you test them, you elect them by the people, and then the public testing, by the way, um, and the men should be able to ask questions as well because they're going to vote. And then there's the ordination process by the existing officers. That's the ordinary settled condition. And, and you, you might have to deal with just the fact that if you, don't have, if you don't have officers right now, if you're starting a new church, you covenant, then you nominate, examine, elect and ordain. And if you don't have any officers you can ordain with, guess who's ordaining? Guess who's setting apart the person? The next down. Let's say you've only got deacons and no elders. The deacons do it. You don't have any deacons or elders. Okay, the men are going to do it, right? That's what you do. And so there, there are emergency things that are done, but the emergency things are not the goal. And the right. emergency things should not be an excuse to not do the proper thing. If you've got a bunch of men that are eh, kind of qualified, more qualified than, than not, whatever, push them to do their job don't go, well, we're going to put a woman in because, you know, whatever. You go, no, 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 no. Get the men to do their job. Rebuke them. Right. Yeah, because I, so we've become so comfortable living in a transitional state that we think a transitional state is normal. Right. Like right. that's <laughs> that's like, um, yeah. So th- there's so much there. OK, I want to say this real quick. So if you guys are on Facebook, if you're on YouTube, uh, let me put this link inside of here. I'm more than willing. I'm going to give you guys the opportunity to uh communicate with mr reese on this topic there you go it is out there on youtube if and facebook if you want to go to that link i'll bring you in but and in spaces if you're in spaces you know the rules now i don't know why i gotta tell you guys this every time no one gets on this show if you haven't shared the show first on your social media platforms go share the show share it retweet it repost it hit the like button no no you got to share it and then I'll bring you into this conversation. I will be examining. And if I find out, if I find out you didn't hit the share button or you didn't repost the show somewhere, I'm cutting you. So you can't just come and pop in here. You got to engage somehow. All right. So I want to go back just a little bit to the, the conversation that we are in the context of. is Christian nationalism. Uh, what do we do with the state? This is all that conversation. Um, and And so... Everybody is having the conversation around what to do at the top part of, or let me restate that, what they think is the top of the covenant structure, which is the state. Mm-hmm. Um, because they're looking at who has the ability to kill someone and say, that's the highest ability. 
<laughs> right? Which is, is super problematic, though, because then when the church takes away, when and they exercise church discipline by taking away the table, because we've made the state so high up here, then the table really doesn't seem to have any real effect on the person because, well, they can't kill them. But the Bible tells us, no, don't worry about so much who can take the body. <laughs> worry about the one who can take the soul, right? Throw the body and throw the whole thing into hell. So th there's a reality there to the, the authority. But that since we're having this conversation. The one that can throw into hell, not the church, but when the church makes a right judgment in accordance with the word of God and the person is non-repentant, that obviously means that they are not a believer and that they would expect to be going into hell. And the, so you know, we just want to make that clear. For the audience. No, yeah, well, what this is where it's super important to understand right worship, right, right doctrine and discipline. Um, people take this verse, oh, <laughs> giving a thumbs up to myself. Uh, people take this verse and they, they use it for charismatic things, but really with um, which where two or three are gathered together, I'm in the midst. That's a judgment. That means God is there witnessing that reality that the church is rightly making a judgment on and saying it is done right on earth as it is in heaven. That is those. And so the, the people, but the church really does have that authority to right. make right judgments. And God will honor that where they structured um, the, where they've done things right at. We right. Need to and just to emphasize that people don't get the fact that the church, when it excommunicates is calling curse down. That's right. Calling curse down. And also that Satan and his minions are being called to scourge the flesh of the person who's been excommunicated. They were removed from protective hedges that keep demonic powers at bay and they have curse imposed on them. So this is a real thing. This is a yeah. real big deal. We, 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 we mock curses. We mock demons. We mock all this stuff. Look, God will not be mocked. And these things are instruments in his hand for discipline. Thank you for making me sound better too, uh, and clarifying that because I know you're a Puritan. That's why I have you on the show. But I wanted to I wanted to point out though in this conversation something that's really, really, really important. The state itself has to be Christian in order for it to be able to have some real authority to correct the church, right? right. If that's a reality, that means that you you can't have a pagan state doing this. I'm sure God can use a pagan state, but that's not what you want. Because what standard are they going to use to know when they've actually helped the church get back on track? And then what standard are they going to use to know when the emergency powers need to be removed? <laughs> they don't have one. So by default, the state itself can't be a neutral individual, a neutral entity inside of these governments. It has to be a Christian one. And, and, and that's, the one, that's the thing that makes a lot of people really nervous because they do not want any engagement at all from the state inside of the church. And I understand that we haven't had a historical um, great track record with that, but it doesn't mean that that office doesn't exist. We just have to figure out how to do it properly. Right. So, I mean, let's pretend for example, that we were in ancient Israel, right? And, and somebody says, you know, there hasn't been a really great track record of the Kings doing a fantastic job <laughs> applying the first table of the law. So because it hasn't worked, let's not apply it anymore. Right. So the pragmatic argument is wicked. Mm. wicked. The question is not what's pragmatic. I'll tell you what works. You know what the most pragmatic thing is? To do what God tells you and to rely on his blessing. That is the most pragmatic thing you can do. So the question is not whether it's pragmatic. You don't know what works. Don't pretend like you know what works. You don't know how everything fits together. The universe is not a machine you have figured out. You don't know how everything works. Right, so don't pretend like you can choose the stuff that works. 
What works is what God says works. So what we need to do is we need to do what God commands. So the question is, does God require the state to do anything regarding the first commandment, second commandment, third commandment, fourth commandment? Is there anything that the state is required to do there? And then we need to run to obey what God commands on the first table of the law. Okay, so I don't, I don't know how you can defend against, I don't know how you, you fight against that. That's not, even a, that's not even an option. It's not even an option. As soon as, as soon as you bring morality into, somebody said, come on, get that man an organ. I know you're right. I said, preach, preacher. Um, you, you, as soon as, it's funny because as soon as you run into the form of morality and, and, and criminal law, I, you don't have a choice of, of what standard you're going to use of, of, of being religious or not. You're always bringing a religion into this conversation. And it makes me laugh that other people somehow think that another religious um, standard would be really good to use instead of the Bible in this particular context. And I'm like, I hope you don't do that at your church, and I definitely hope you don't do that at home. Right? I hope you don't say, what's another standard other than God's that I can bring to these other governments so that I can make sure I get justice? That's what we're saying. <laughs> it's right. like, good luck with that. And actually, nah, no good luck because there's no such thing. It's not going to work. All right, so we're back in chaos. We, we are dealing with the, the prophet who, I, I, you said something, I, I don't want to skip past it. You talked about the prophet bringing covenant lawsuit. Man, can you work out what covenant lawsuit is and how that works? Because it reminds me of old prophets calling down uh, curses on people because of they're not going to obey God and like, you know, Jonah, right? With, and say, hey, Lord, I didn't want to go to him because I knew you would save him. I just wanted him to be cursed. But there's, there's a real prophetic edge right now that people that pastors, would you say, or men of God need to have who have yeah. that gift. And what does that look like in a time of chaos? That, 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 that calling that, um, what you covenant lawsuit? Right. So one, one thing I would say, you know, um, so think about, uh, Jeff Durbin is a great example of mm. a, who's, who's being a prophet to the magistrate, right? So, so Jeff Durbin is famous, um, as a pastor for preaching to magistrates in mm. public meetings about the need to not shed the blood of the innocent, right? So he is, he is, he is, he is pleading, or the unborn to magistrates. And so he is taking that prophetic word and saying, you need to repent. The law of God is clear. You are obligated to obey. Stop the murder of these people that are being murdered. Right. And so he's doing that. That's great. The another example would be in the church, if other churches are in sin, pastors should call them to repent. Um, and, and in particular, there should be a seeking to unify the church around a covenanted uniformity that there's a maturing in the church that occurs across time. The Lord Jesus Christ matures his church. And in that maturing process, the maturing is captured at moments through things like what happened at the Council of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, where they write the four laws that are not laws they're making up, but they are laws that they're saying, hey, these were laws that did not differentiate Jew and Gentile, and these four laws continue to apply, even though the laws that distinguished Jew and Gentile have been removed. And so they're, they're making a decision about a case of conscience, and they're coming to conclusions. 
Well, if the church later backtrack, backtracks and rejects the high point, the, the clarity that has been attained to, other pastors need to go, no, we've worked this out. This is clear. You need to repent. Mm. You need to rally around this. So the doctrine, worship, and practice, the doctrine, worship, and government that has been attained to by the church gets covenanted to in the context of people working it out through much discussion in these public assemblies. And so that work, you know, the high water market has been attained to in the church is the Westminster Confession of Faith, its catechisms, its directory of worship. And then we deal with the fact that there is a, a standard to rally around, and that standard to rally around, you judge it by the scriptures because the scriptures are the ultimate authority, but we haven't figured out everything yet. You know, at the time of Nicaea, there was a capturing of the doctrine of the Trinity that it became heretical to say that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were of similar substance as opposed to of the same substance. And the difference there was literally a single Greek letter. It was homo, same, usios, versus omoi, usios. So homo, same, right? And omoi, similar. And so the idea was you need to say they're the same because otherwise you're denying that they're equal as, as God. And so you work through that. After Nicaea, clarity about the Trinity was at a higher standard for people, for teachers, and for churches. And so that keeps happening throughout history. And so the Westminster Confession is the high watermark. And so we should debate about that. If people disagree about high watermarks, like the London Baptist Confession, they're trying to take the Westminster Confession. They modified portions of it and said, yeah, this was the high watermark except for these things. And so we've edited it about baptism and about church government. Okay, great. Our forefathers identified for us the places we need to be arguing. So what we need to do is to go, hey, we agree about all this other stuff. Let's go argue with each other about baptism and church government until we come to unity so we can have the visible unity of the church, the covenanted uniformity where we confess the same doctrine, have the same worship, have the same form of government. So do you get a form of covenant uniformity at all apart from coming to agreement? No. If, if, I mean, if, if you, you, can, you can take words, you can agree with your mouth and not agree inwardly, right? That, that's one way that you could covenant. That, that's not the way I would advise people covenant. Right. Um, but at the same time, you can also, you, you come to unity and then you're able to agree to the outward form, right? And so, so the inward unity that's worked by the Holy Spirit causing us to come to the knowledge of the truth allows for external unity. So that un that unity of form. So that's what uniformity is. It's one formness, right? And if it's covenanted, we have now sworn to uphold one form. And that mm -hmm. is how the church avoids creating stumbling blocks for each other by imposing a bunch of forms that were not worked through by the church. So this coming together to have shared forms is the goal that Reformed churches have always had, and it's the goal that the church universally has historically had. And when it gets abused, it can be taken. You can try to, you can try to for example, with the papacy, where the church at Rome was twisted and destroyed and became no church at all, and you have a you know antichrist reigning, and then there's this effort to, like Diotrephes, rule over everybody else out of a love of the preeminence. That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the word of God is the authority. We have the external forms to agree about how to deal with things. And then we seek to work with each other with brotherly love inside of that. And those become shibboleths that are used to say, if you're not willing to agree to this form of words, then you are not able to partake in the work. 
you're not able to join with us. Even if you say you're a Christian, but you won't agree with these forms, then you do not care about the peace of the church, and you're not willing to work through these things. We've thrown off everything. So we just say, like, our goal is to get the lowest common denominator. What's the least I have to believe so I can be saved? And then let's just let all those people in, regardless of how much they're throwing off everything else, as long as they say the least that they can possibly say, let's just let them in. And so... That, 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 and that's true with officers too now. We're just, you're just making it so that there's no confessional standards in most denominations, what the officers actually have to uphold. So, I mean, this is, we, we live in a time where we are destroying unity. We're dismantling everything that was built. This is just so, you know, this is just cultural Marxism deconstructing in the church. The, the process of destroying confessional standards and standards for uniformity of worship and standards for uniformity of government is the process of deconstructing what has been built. And if it's biblical, it's sin. I interrupted you, but I saw that you were still going. I thought you were done, but you, you still got more. You got a little something, some red stuff right underneath your eye there. I think it's blood. But um, I, I want to just add that we're doing it all for the sake of trying to get unity because of the form of chaos that we have. There, It's so chaotic. Um, David, you know this. Like, It's so chaotic, and things are so weird out here that to find just a, a, a stable man who's going to be married to his wife and not get a divorce is almost entirely impossible nowadays, especially coming in the next generation. We, we, can, can we just – Can we just? I mean, you and I were talking the other day. It's like I want psalm singing. That's what I want, right? I want churches to be doing that. I want them leading the way and singing psalms, right? Um, that's it. That's what I want. Church services, psalms. That's what you're singing. You got 150 of them. Use them. Um, but right now, right now, I'm just trying to like, can I, can I just get you to add one? Can, can you just, can you just add, how about this? Add Psalm one to your service. Go ahead. Keep, keep singing all the, the Gettys and all the other stuff that you like. I'm fine with that. Keep just add one song and then I'm gonna come back. I'm gonna say add two. Now this is my smash mouth incrementalism that gets me in trouble. But if we can get one. I believe they're so effective that we can get somewhere down the road. So I totally agree with you. I don't want to have compromise for the sake of uh, this is normal. I'm trying to figure out how to compromise so that we can build to a place of the tradition. right? Yeah. And not, not necessarily compromise, but how can I, for a period of time, allow the conversation for us to engage? Because otherwise, I, you don't even get people to the table. You don't even get people to the table because they're at normal. They're at normal. And I want to say, no, no, no. Normal is so much more than where you're at. But we can't even get to the – we can't even get people who are our friends to come and have a conversation with us, not about justification by faith, not about sanctification, not about baptism, just about do you think maybe the word of God should be implied in the, and applied to the government in the first table of the law? Right. You know what I mean? We can't even get people to come together about that, you know? And so they, they don't want to even come to the table to have those conversations with you. What they do want to do, however, is have a conversation where they shoot at you. So it, it, it's, it makes the, the dynamic very complicated to try and create some sort of covenant uniformity because you won't get engagement. And I wasn't even trying to talk about that, but since I did. No, it's true. It's difficult to get people to sit down. Um, and, and so you know, what I have found is typically people don't want to sit down with you unless they think they can get something out of you, right? So, so my goal, my goal has been to raise my station by working hard and by increasing my dominion mm. resources to offer people because the gift of a man can get him audience with the king.
That's interesting. And, and so the more important you are, the easier it is to get uh, an audience. Does that mean that we should worship importance and worship money and that we should only hear people who, who have money and station? No. It's your job to have conversations with people to seek to bring them to unity. You should be discussing with people whether they look poor or rich. You should evangelize to the poor and to the rich alike. A poor man comes into your church, you talk to him, you, you disciple him, you do that stuff. Well, we also recognize the fact that if people think you have nothing to offer, they don't want to talk to you. <laughs> one of the reasons that Paul commands us to work is so that we have something to give, right? And so the more you work, the more you can bless other people with your work and with the resources you earn, right? So, so my goal is to get as rich as I can without failing to do other duties like keeping the Sabbath and and to use those resources to glorify God with the increased dominion. And mm. so that, you know, like that that idea, that's the Puritan work ethic. That is that is the Calvinist work ethic. That's the Protestant work ethic is to work for the glory of God, to work to have resources that you can use to glorify God. And if we just work so we can have stuff and then we just go play around, like you're wasting your time, you're wasting your life. Like that's the difference. So, mm. so people, people who meet me and spend time with me, even though the Lord has blessed me with resources, none of them think I'm in it for the toys. Right? Right. You spend any time with me at all, it is obvious that I have a grueling schedule. I have a grueling set of task after task after task. And, and I could not. It's, it'd be real easy to just go hang out. Right? It'd be real easy to back up and not do nearly as much work. My goal is to work hard. And I want money and resources and servants so that I can work more so that I can get more done. This is the dominion man mindset. This is the obligation that we have. We are in chaos and we need to work hard to settle things and create order. So mm. get your life in order as an individual, get your household in order. Your household becomes a base of operations where the beauty of your wife and your children can be on display and you can well order servants and you can put things in a place where you have resources so you can then do public service. And that public service is in the church or in the state. It could be both, but the idea is, that we're trying to get to that so that we have bases to operate from. Two, three, four, five well-ordered households is a dramatically powerful social sphere that can help to disciple other people. And so a little church with just a few households, once you get to like five households that are in good shape, like it doesn't feel weird. It feels like there's a neat little community. Mm. So that's how little it takes for it to not feel weird, right? You got like two, three households, everybody feels weird. People walk in, they feel weird. You get to like five, six households, people don't feel weird anymore. And they start to feel like it's a little community. And if they're exchanging hospitality and everybody's kind of like talk to people and pull them in and talk about the doctrine, it's so powerful. So everybody just wants to like gather a crowd because they want to avoid feeling weird. That's why people want a crowd. Yeah. It feels normal. But if you do not agree, you cannot walk together. You can't accomplish anything together. So if you don't agree about the doctrine you're trying to teach, that hospitality is going to be working against itself. Mm. worship God, that's going to turn into worship wars. And if you don't agree about how government works, that's just going to turn into a fraction, right? There's just going to be this, this schisming. Okay, man, you're, you're on fire right now. Uh, I hope you guys have hit the share button. Please, please get this out. This is so important. David, would you talk about the duties and responsibilities of a priest and the, and the normal function of things? And then what happens when things go chaotic? What is his duty and responsibilities in a form of chaos? And and I guess, too, speaking primarily of, I don't know, should we start from the home or should we start from the, the church? Well, so, 
So the priestly part, I mean, since we're in the church, let's deal with that. But in the home, it kind of applies down. Like what we talked about earlier on with the question yeah. about you know, the apostate woman, um, you know, the, the, that's the part of the priestly function. Priests focus on two things. They focus on the goal of the glory of God. Okay, so they're holy. And they focus on the, the relationship, keeping the space holy. Okay, So you're focused on the purpose, the glory of God, and you keep stuff out that would distract from that purpose, and you put stuff in that helps with the purpose. Right? Think about a temple. Right, The temple is for the glory of God, so only the stuff that you use for the worship of God is in the temple, and you remove everything that's not. Only clean stuff goes into the temple. You remove everything that's unclean. Okay, That idea, we are supposed to focus our whole lives on the glory of God. And so we should remove everything that doesn't help us to glorify God, and we should bring in everything that helps us to glorify God. And so that idea that the priest's function is to guard the gates, to let in and let out, to keep out, right? And so that idea of, of guarding the gates and then the service in the temple for the glory of God. And so that's part of the duty. That's what discipline fits under. Discipline fits under that idea of the holiness part. Worship is the priestly service of worship. And there's also this idea of the keeping in and the keeping out that is a part of the duty of the priest, the differentiation. And so that's priestly function. And so you want to build relationships. You want to be really welcoming to people. You want to be careful to try to pull them in with beauty and glory. And, and you, want to, you want to make that beautiful. You want to make the life of the Christian beautiful. But when a person is a wolf, when a person is unclean, you, know, you, you, you push out for the protection of the clean and the beautiful. You, you push out, right? And your goal is to make them go, okay, fine, go live in the unclean, filthy, wicked world. Right? If you're not going to be in the church, and be a part of the church and be useful, and you're going to destroy. And we'll put you out there. You can destroy out there. Go destroy the city of man. Don't destroy the city of God. Mm. And the priest's function is to preserve the garden city, the temple, the beauty, the order, the glory, and then to keep out the danger. And you let people back in when there's repentance. And being removed from the favorable presence of the people of God, being removed from the city of God, being removed from those people who have rational discussion, who care about law order, who care about your well-being, who care about truth. The world is awful. Like, we have had <laughs> conversations with these people, right? Like, you can't have reasonable discourse. The discussion is, is unreal. The ability to make basic distinctions doesn't exist. They don't know the difference between a man and a woman, right? You're like, this conversation is going nowhere. You don't know the difference between a man and a woman. Like, this is a total waste of time. And so you, you can talk about the most basic and obvious things, like the laws of logic and math. I mean, we've all had this experience. You talk to somebody, and they deny that things that truth is logical. Or they'll deny that one plus one equals two. I'll bet you've had like five conversations with somebody that says, do you know it's been proven that one plus one doesn't equal two? No, it hasn't. No, it never will be. Shut up. Like, that's <laughs> ridiculous. That's a waste of time. Like, what are we doing? Like, like, what are we doing here? Like, this is a total waste of time. So the, the, the type of time-wasting conversation that people want to have out in the world is intolerable. And so everybody's looking for ways to amuse themselves to death because you can't think out there and stay sane, right? So... The city of God, the church, is the place where you can have rational discourse. It's the place where there's beauty and glory. It's the place where truth is. It's the place where righteousness reigns. And so we want to make people feel the ugliness of the world by making the beauty and glory of the church maximal. And that's not sensate. That's not by outward pomp and glory like in the Old Covenant. It is by 
the fruits of the Spirit, by the truth, by the plain and simple focus on the new covenant order. The simplicity of the gospel is not the simplicity of the saving message. All right, the simplicity of the gospel is the simplicity of the new covenant order. That's what that means. The gospel has three meanings. It is the saving message in a narrow way. You can also see it referring to the new covenant, and you can also see it referring to the whole counsel of God. The word law is used similarly to mean the whole, the whole counsel of God, or it could be referring to the old covenant, or it can be referring to the imperatives, right? So the so gospel, you know, indicatives, new covenant, whole counsel of God, right? The, the idea of the simplicity of the gospel is the simplicity of the new covenant order. And the regulated principle of worship, the regulated principle of government, and the regulated principle of doctrine are we don't teach stuff that God didn't teach. We do not impose as worship worship that God did not institute himself. We do not require people to obey authority that was not instituted by the word of God. And so those things where we carefully guard that, we are maintaining the simplicity of the beauty of the spirituality of the new covenant. And that doesn't mean we ignore material stuff. It means we impose spiritual rule on the material things by taking the law word of God and ruling things with that law word. Mm, mm, man, you don't. Mm. Somebody better come up here and give an offering. What's your website? Where do you want your offerings to go to? Oh, man. Uh, okay. So, well, some, somebody uh, better give you an offer. My goodness. PHX.com. What is it? At Puritan what? PuritanPHX.com. My goodness. I'm sorry. You, you know, I know you're Presbyterian, so you talk right over to Oregon. What, Oregon, what were you saying? <laughs> follow me at Real David Reese. Yeah, go follow his man at Real yeah. David. What happened to you? Why you? Why you? What, what got you so turned up today? I'm not used to talking to this Puritan. My goodness, tell this man he's welcome anytime on the show. Whoever this is right here, he can come back whenever he wants to, Monday through Friday. I don't care. I like talking to this one. This is nice. Zeal is appropriate for the worship of God. God mm. is jealous. He's jealous for His own worship. Right? Come on, man. Come on now. Like it says right. That's 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 righteous jealousy. Is that zeal? So that's what the priest is. So you want, you want me to get zealous? Have me talk about priesthood, right? Mm, it's mm. about zeal. That's what holiness is. Holiness is a devotion, a zeal, a jealousy for the things that are God's. So then, when things go chaotic, you're the the. Are we talking about an officer in the church right now, particularly? But this can go across any officer, though. This can be a man in his house. This can be uh, the 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 elder at his church, and this can also be a civil officer. His right. priestly duties should have zeal for the things of God, dot the end. It yeah. doesn't matter where his office is. The things as a priest, he's still functioning his priestly duty as a human being um, in the office as a civil magistrate. That's right. So so we have the four covenant institutions, civil oh, magistrate, church, household, and individual. And you are a prophet, priest, and king in all of them, right? And so these are categories of duty that you have in all of them. And they apply differently based upon the stations. And so, so that, that is, that oh, is, David, you know, here's a, my good, I'm going to say this and this is so obvious. So forgive me for being captain obvious, but I watched a debate last night. Um, I watched it this morning with my kids, but I watched it with DeSantis and, um, governor Horriblesome. I mean, sorry, Newsom. Um, and so, uh, I think Gabe calls him Newsolini. Did you see that debate at all? Did you watch any of it? No, I oh, did good. not. You, you saved time with your life. What a waste of life. Um, I should have spent doing something else. But anyway, one of the things that I saw DeSantis single-handedly like tied this guy up. I mean, came off the top rope 
kicked him in the eyeballs, poked him in the nose. I mean, he basically ripped out. He he, he did a Mortal Kombat move and took the dude's spine out of his mouth, right? Like he just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. He just destroyed him. And when you were just talking, it was easy to see that the zeal that DeSantis had was a conservative Republican zeal. And I'm not necessarily saying that that's, that's all the way wrong. But what, what would it be if his zeal was for the name of Christ? Right? Like that our politicians' zeal and anger towards what they see is that God's standard and laws and word has been neglected to be a, obviously acknowledged in our, in our arena of work, in civil work. And that is the thing that has him so turned up. Not the fact it is bad. Like you said, the secular world, the world of this is bad that we have crap all over the ground in uh, San Francisco. Yes, that is horrible. But there is something else that is even worse than that. The homeless problem. That's horrible. All the boards, the, the, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is not being uh, acknowledged, observed and praised as it should be for giving us such great blessings and squandering them in this nation, that every civil magistrate should be so turned up that Republicanism should look and be like, dang, <laughs> right? Like, and we've, uh, we've lost zeal as priests for the name of Christ, and instead we've put another idol in the place called conservatism and Republicanism, right? <laughs> like, and it's like, and, and that's the kind of zeal that we need to see in our politicians. Right. And this is the problem is we, we don't like we, we can say until we're blue in the face that we understand that America is not the city of God. But unless we realize that it's not the city of God and start to instead build the city of God and, and America should be a part of, it should be annexed into, it should submit unto the Lord Jesus Christ. But the city of God is the church. And what we need to do is to see the rightly ordered church. Mm. And we need to see that as a place to consolidate around. And we don't just try to gather a mob to get enough noses to win elections. Guys, we don't win the elections. The reason we don't win the elections can have something to do with how many people are voting against us. It can also have to do with who is counting the votes. And so let's be real for just a minute. And why don't we think about what we can do regardless of who's counting and who's voting. And until we have built for ourselves Christian households that have resources where we can actually do things, and until we have churches that are in good order where we are actually discipling people in the fullness of what the church has attained to, we're not going to build a good civil order, right? Like I'm worried that what we're going to do is we're going to raise up some strong man that talks about how much he hates whatever sin we happen to hate. And rather than focusing on the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and a Christian law order that restrains sin and advances righteousness, what we're going to see is somebody who advances statism and who advances a secular conservatism and populism. I'll tell you what, Christless Christianity can be monstrous, and Christless populism is monstrous. If we do not have a Christian civil order, we will continue to have monsters. We have a monstrous civil order now. 
So what are we doing? We are using the time we have to get the resources that are necessary to build Christian spaces and to make it so that the law word of the Lord Jesus Christ governs those spaces. And then we use those resources to project out and take more space. So if you don't have a Christian county that's doing what you think, like what are you, what are we joking about that we're going to have a like Christian federal government? Like until there's some sheriff somewhere arresting people for what the Bible says should be arrested for, mm. like, what are we doing? Like, let's do that. Let's have a county. Let's have a town. That's what I'm working on. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get the resources for that. And so that watch I, it. Yeah. Kevin D might not like your kind of building. He might not like your mood. Yeah, well, so. he can go someplace else then. He can enjoy the mood there. Hey, what about this covenant uniformity here? Come well, on. We can also talk if he wants to come talk about it. <laughs> no, he wants to write an article and not actually talk about it. Anyway, go ahead. You were saying. <laughs> so the building of a space where you can actually get something done, that, that is where you have a powerful ability to project. So the church has to be that. Covenanted uniformity is where that it takes its public form. And so what doctrine you have if here's if you have a confession of faith that you do not agree with in your church you need to either argue against it and get your church to seek to reform it according to the word of god or you need to leave by going through public process of discussion and then go find a church that you do agree with or start one right so th- this is this is it this is the options you bring prophetic lawsuit to argue with the church you're in you leave after presenting the reasons why, so you're having a prophetic lawsuit, and you start one or you join a different. That's it. Those are your options. They're like sitting around and allowing public doctrine mm. you disagree with or allowing public worship that you disagree with or allowing public government that you disagree with. You're allowing public sins to not be dealt with. And so we all agree that, that we deal with public sins publicly. And so let's do that. You go from the more basic to the less basic. You deal with it in order. You discuss the things that are the most foundational first, and you try to deal with it. So if your church doesn't accept the authority of Scripture, it's not a church. You need to bring a covenant lawsuit, tell them to repent, tell them to accept the authority of Scripture. If they won't accept the authority of Scripture, you leave and you try to get as many people as you can to leave with you. Okay. Now, there's lesser things that you might leave over that ultimately you have reasons of conscience about. And there you don't say, hey, this isn't a church or whatever. But if it denies the authority of Scripture, it's not a church. If it denies the solas, tulip, the trinity, or the incarnation, it is not a church. And so you have a duty to bring a lawsuit, covenant lawsuit. I'm not saying you go to the civil magistrate. I'm saying you bring covenant lawsuit to those leaders, and you tell them to repent. And if they won't repent, then you leave, and you encourage other people to leave. Solas, Uh, tulip, incarnation, trinity. Any of those things, you need to leave and pull everybody out you can. How how long do I have you for? Because our time got weird adjusted. How long do you have? When do you have to go? 30 more minutes. Oh, really? I'll give you 30 more minutes. Oh, snap. All right. So shall we talk about the kingly duties now? Yes. Let's do that. Um, this is this is interesting because I'm trying to figure out how you're going to get out of. You said with priests, they, they're basically they're, they're worried about holiness and they're worried about getting uh, unsanctified things out and sanctifying things that are good, right? Uh, is that a good way to say it? Right. Okay. So then they have this form of pushing things out, bringing right things in, and oblating. Um, the 
king seems like that that kingly duty and there was the traditional kingly duty in the offices of a, of a, of a pastor that we're talking about was since we're in the church. And then what is that look like in a time of chaos? So I'm trying to figure out how you're going to separate the two between the priestly duties and the kingly duties. Sure. So the king has a duty of providing and protecting, right? So, mm. so the provision, we, we can talk about positive and negative rights. Positive rights are things that somebody has a duty to give you. Uh, and negative rights are things that people have a duty to not take from you. Um, so the church um, has a positive duty of providing right teaching, right worship, and lawful, rightful conflict resolution, Matthew 18, through the church courts, and, and requiring that, that justice be done in terms of process. Okay, those are the services that the church is required by the Lord Jesus Christ to give its members. So that's the that's the prophet, sorry, that's the kingly duty of provision. And so the way that the doctrine gets provided is you have a confessional standard, you have public teaching from the word of God, and you try to provide teaching that also is timely. So you, you want the general teaching to be, here's the systematics that you need to know. Here's what the scriptures say. We're exegeting text, or most of it should be exegeting text. But then there's systematic, and you're showing from the text how the systematic works. And then other times you might be dealing with things that as they come up, you're trying to deal with for the sake of giving the instruction that the church needs, the rebuke to put off, the correction of what to put on, and that's a part of helping to train the church in righteousness. And that can occur also, you know, the priest has this duty of the idea of teaching, but the teaching is sort of the applicational teaching. When you think about a priesthood, the priesthood is going into the lives of the people, engaging with them in the relational level, and helping them to apply the Word of God. Very personal, very personal. Right, right. So you think about counseling is sort of that, right? So And so, so the, the kingly function, uh, you know, the prophetic is the actual teaching part, but there's a duty to provide that, right? And so that's a part of the. Mm. So then you deal with, um, and, and that can be done, for example, by the elders overseeing it, right? So you, you differentiate between the elder that's actually teaching versus the ones that are watching and judging, right? The whole congregation has a duty to judge what's said, but the elders in particular have a duty to, to, to rebuke false teaching and to supply good teaching. And so the truth they have a duty to provide the teaching of the truth. And so if they're not doing that, they're not providing the spiritual nourishment that they're obligated to give. Now, with right worship, there is this duty of providing the right worship. So, so this idea of here's the Bible, here's copies of the Bible. Like the, the church can legitimately buy copies of the Bible and give them out to their members. They can buy psalm books, psalters, for them to then give out so people have the material they need in order to sing the praises of God. Um, they can buy the bread and the wine and clean water and a space to be able to, to, you know, to worship in and to assemble in and to provide a place for good government to exist. But, but so this, this idea of, of providing for the things that are necessary for worship. And, and so there's also this duty to judge um, and to administer justice there. And so the, the discipline, the government of the church is a provision. And that includes providing discipline. So the provision of discipline is a priestly, there's a priestly element there in terms of keeping things out and letting things in. There's a prophetic element of coming and bringing charges, but there's a kingly element of actually providing the justice. Mm. And so that provision of the justice where the church actually comes down and, and, and adjudicates. And the church actually makes a judgment. 
right? So that that idea, we are used to pastors sort of handling the people of God. And mm. that handling is very different from conflict resolution. I, the, you, a pastor should spend a lot of time counseling people and resolving conflict. And you go, when somebody tells you, you know, that they, if, they, if they bring a problem to you, part of your job as a pastor is to make sure that they've resolved that conflict, they've actually overlooked it, or they have, um, you go with them to resolve the conflict, right? And, and so this, if somebody's immature in the faith, or immature in conflict resolution, or you're worried that maybe they're a people pleaser and there's some cowardice there, or maybe there's maliciousness where they're going to go and you know maybe keep gossiping about the person and try to you know, do a whisper campaign or whatever, you grab them by the hand and say, let's go talk to this person together, right? And that's providing that, that work of the conflict resolution, and you provide the courts for adjudication. Oh my God. You know what? I just got to stop you right there. Do you know how many problems... We could just solve doing that. I mean, that's like just that alone. If we could just do that. Hey, hey, I'll go bring them into the room. Let's go talk about this and solve it. Because there is a, we want to somehow lower the other person to, to the public or to the environment without actually having to um, deal with the other person so that we can have some sort of power or authority or win the curry, the favor of the public. I've seen this so much in, in <laughs> political environment, Christian political environments, right? Where it, behind the scenes, they will have the conversation. They will not want to engage. Um, they will throw salt and, but will not actually engage that person at all. So that they can curry the favor of the people around them versus saying, hey, let's actually solve the problem through engagement. And then when you bring up, well, let's let's actually go do that. The first thing they want to say is, well, these aren't serious people. <clears throat> well, I, I don't think that having this conversation, Pastor, is really going to get anywhere. But, but we have an answer for that. Like, right. There is there's an answer for that in conflict resolution. There's an answer for what happens when things don't get anywhere and people refuse to engage or people refuse to repent. There's actually a resp the Bible gives us a way to deal with this. Right. And so we, we go to step one in Matthew 18. If there's a private conflict, if the people won't take it seriously, we go to step two. If they won't take it seriously with witnesses, we take it to the church. And because we don't respect the courts of the church, we don't actually follow through with that. Mm. And, and so you know, we have to have courts in our church where charges can be brought with two or three witnesses. And those have to, we have to have public courts. So there's a court itself. It needs to be a public court so people can see the proceeding. You know, you should, you know, frankly, there's no reason to not record the thing, right? Just take an audio recording. You can have minutes too. There should be an audio recording of the thing so that anybody who wants to understand what happened can check that. And you've got minutes to deal with it. And so this idea, you have the minutes to, to read, and you've got the recording that you can use, and, and then you've got this, here's a public way of dealing with this issue. So you know, whenever I, when I enter into contracts with people that are, that are believers, what I typically say is, let's put a little provision in there that says, you know, if we ultimately disagree about this, you're going to take me to my church court, and I'll take you to yours. We'll, we'll, we'll go through that. We'll go through a church court before we deal with anything else. And if, you, if the church ultimately decides to not discipline you for it, 
you know, either it was an invalid church because they've just rejected the authority of the word of God, or they made a right decision, or they made a wrong decision on the basis of evidence, and that's the way it is. They don't dishonor the Lord Jesus Christ by then, you know, dis disregarding the decision of a legitimate church by then going and taking it to a civil court. It, 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 like Paul said, isn't it better to be wronged? Right? Like, that. <laughs> like, we don't take it seriously. All right. So then how do you, what, in a moment of, in, in a chaotic time where things aren't normal, you don't have a structure in order to things. Because I think part of what the, part of what the conversation I was having with you was like, okay, David, I, I, me and you agree on so much. Like we're lockstep in so many different ways. The problem where I think where, where it seems like we have conflict sometimes is how do we take what we agree on and start applying that in the current world? Because if you take this, this lovely, beautiful standard, and this is always the challenge that I have being a theonomist, um, how do you then go to a charismatic environment or a place that's like, you know, they're still speaking in tongues, there's still Kundalini worship going on here and there, and this is an absolute mess, but these people really do love Jesus, right? And so, like, this isn't an overnight thing that happens all of a sudden because we've showed up, and I have the Westminster Confession of Faith, and everybody's like, never heard of her, right? Like, <laughs> Like you, you got to figure out. David did not laugh at that. He was, he didn't. I think that was funny. <laughs> I, I thought it was funny. I just don't laugh. The Puritan side of you said you better not laugh at that. What? Uh, <laughs> but so there, but there's, there's no one. I'm saying all this to say. So then, how does the kingly duties of an officer in the church begin to function when things are absolutely in chaos? Yeah. If, if so, first, if you're in a church that you think is a you know, you, you've become convinced of this stuff or whatever, and, and you're trying to reform it, okay, you bring the prophetic lawsuit and you argue from the more basic to the less basic. The more basic is, how do we know? Well, the Bible. Okay, what does the Bible say? Let's examine it. You know, let's, let's go to the things. And, and you try to figure out the things that are, you know, one of the glorious things about the Westminster Confession is it literally, like, is basically an order from more basic to less basic. It starts with scripture, goes to the nature of God, you know, goes to his decrees. Like, it, it, the order of it is is more basic to less basic. So it's, it's great. So if you're not sure, you, you're like, ah, I got a bunch of problems. Which ones do I address? Well, look at the confession and see where does the problem fit? Like which chapter would the problem fit into? And mm. generally want to go to the more basic. Now, at the same time, when there's public chaos, public disorder, public sin, gross public sin, you have to deal with that first, right? So if, if, if there's demonic worship going on in the church, like you rebuke that and you, you say, we need to be worshiping according to scripture. And if they don't know what the Westminster Confession is, you don't say anything about it. You just you just argue. It's resources for you, right? right? So you you get there eventually. But when you talk to people about the nature of the church and what God has done in history, and you show them that from Scripture and all that kind of stuff. But 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 you don't you don't appeal to the Westminster Confession unless somebody already has some respect for it or an awareness of it. And you can then say, okay, look, here's some useful things. Look at this. Or hey, you've sworn to uphold this. You know, uh, a lot of you know, if you're in a conservative Presbyterian denomination, you've sworn to uphold that. And your exceptions were not an authorization to teach against it. Your exceptions were, here's my beliefs. And then the exception was granted to you with the idea that you would teach in accordance with the confession, right? That's what the idea is. And so, um, and, and frankly, I don't think you should agree to teach against your conscience. So, you know, if you don't have that, if, if you don't believe in the confession of your church and you're an officer, do not teach what you think the Bible doesn't say. And you should repent and you should talk to your fellow elders and see if, hey, you know, am I wrong or do we need to reform? 
right? So that process, the idea of the prophetic lawsuit occurs at every level. And if you're in a church where they're doing demonic worship, you got to deal with that. And guess what's going to happen most of the time? You're going to get kicked out. Or they're going to tell you we don't want to talk to you anymore. Or they don't have a process of church discipline, but you're not allowed to deal with it anymore. You can't talk about it anymore. So when you run out of method for reform, guess what? You leave in protest and you should start a church. So you know what the kingly function there is? You're providing right worship, right doctrine, and right government by starting a church. It is the duty of a person who does not have a church that they could be a part of in good conscience to start a church or leave to go join one somewhere else. If there's not one that you can join that's convenient to your current location, you know, if you're not able to attend someplace else, even with a far drive or whatever, it's your duty to start one or to go someplace else. And that's it. That's the kingly duty is to provide. Right? If you're a head of house and your family doesn't have a church to attend, you need to provide one by going to one or by helping to start one. And so that's it. The kingly function to provide those things when there's disorder is that. The devolution of authority is such that it's your duty to make sure one gets planted. Okay, can I, can, you know, I don't completely agree with you. <laughs> like how I said that. But here, can I, I you know why that scares me though? Why? Is because... We live in such a radically individualistic culture right now that I'm just going to say, I don't trust most people to know when they should be starting a church or not. <laughs> I think that almost all of them will be like, yeah, I should be starting a church. She's like, oh, no, not you. Like the reason that this is not working is because you're not a good person to lead at all. <laughs> that's why you're failing. If you're not elder qualified. Then yeah, yeah I mean, that's true. You'll be discipled by I'm sure there's all kinds of great qualifications you have for that. I just could just see so many, especially come from where I come from. It's like people can find reasons not to be at churches that are good churches. Right. And everybody who has a problem with their church usually finds out that their church is really not the problem. They are right. Like, um, that's true. Yeah. In a lot of ways, people, um, have better churches than some of the ones, most of the ones in the New Testament. A lot of, there's a lot of good churches compared to some of the ones we have in the pre, and they don't even notice it because they're themselves are not applying the scriptures to their own life. You know, they're right. not doing things in their own home, you know? Right. Those so, two churches that were in the, in, the, in, in the New Testament, right, that had all these problems, you know, what, the, the Apostle Paul isn't just like, well, Corinth, things are a mess, but, you know, like, let's just yeah. cover it all in, a, in love, right? He, <laughs> he, says, he says, what are you doing? Cast this person out. That's right. People, That's right. Right. So he, he brings covenant lawsuit. Yep. And ultimately, by Second Corinthians, what you've got is you've got the super apostles and the people that are following them versus the people who have followed the instruction that Paul gave. And that's about the result in a church split because he's mm. got basically the people he's commending and the people that he's rebuking. And so there's going to be a church split there, right? Like you go, you read the book of Acts and basically Paul goes places and in the civil sphere, he causes a riot. And in the church sphere, there's either a reformation and an adoption of the new covenant, or there's a church split. Yeah, everywhere, right? Yeah. So, so Paul was real good at splitting churches. Like <laughs> he had like a master's degree in splitting churches. He was a, he was a Scottish revival kind of guy, right? This is this is not something that I'm trying to say lightly. Yeah. But it, it's real. And and what I want to say is, if if you're not willing to bring it to the church courts. Right then, what you you shouldn't be willing to split over it, mm. and and so the issue needs to be big enough that you'd be willing to do that, and and then in addition to that, there needs to be if there's not reformation, 
or if there's already been a ruling against the position and you realize that you are wrongly there and there's not going to be reform, okay, then what you need to do is now you need to either go find a better church or you need to start one. And and people can say it's real fun to start a church, but I'll tell you what, if you're trying to do it right, it's hard. Yeah. If you're trying to do it right, it's hard, right? It, it, is, it is grueling work to plant a church. It is grueling work to do it without a large number of people. It's grueling work to not have some guy who's paid full time to do it. Like it is hard work. And so I don't say this lightly at all. I'm saying this is life or death stuff. Mm. Okay. I got you for like nine minutes. And here's what I want to finish up on. We, we've talked about the, the family and the offices there. And people should be able to see how that understanding the offices of a, the offices of the family, the, the husband, the father, and the uh, mother and the wife, um, and how those apply moving over into the, the church where we have the pastor and his wife, uh, the deacons and their wives, and, and seeing how these offices interact with each other and how the qualifications of the family, um, the qualifications of an elder and how he treats his family qualifies him to be able to rule well. He's, he's, he's in one way or another polished his ability to lead um, and uh, in the church. And so now we should be able to move right into the civil realm and with understanding this, if I really recommend everybody go get the fight, laugh, feast pub app, download it, listen to every family Friday with David Reese we're also inside of the Apple podcast. Um, you can get the pub app or I think it's fight, laugh, feast in the, uh, um, the app store inside of the um, podcast is fight, laugh, feast. Just look up David Reese family Friday. They're all there. Get every last one of them because we, we work through each of the offices. And by the time we come to the civil, you should already know how this applies here. And if and if everything you've said with the family and the church ring true, in this next few minutes, can you work through these offices as it relates to the civil magistrate, priestly, prophet, kingly? Because this is what's missing. Like this, and then and then in a chaotic moment, what does a politician do with this moment? Not what do they do in a normal moment? Because I think everybody knows how to. When you have a normal moment, even your atheists act right. When when you're living in a normal God fearing society, even your your pagans and your worldly folks know that where their borders and limitations are. Right, a man who has a godly house and ungodly kids come in, they know real quick what they can and can't do. They know where they can and can't go, and they know how they should and shouldn't speak to the parents of the house. It is in the air. Right. So, the, so how does this work now, prophet, priest, and king, in the civil realm in a chaotic moment that we're in? Yeah, so in the chaotic moment, what we need is we need some mayors, some sheriffs, some councilmen, some uh, you know, county boardmen, some um, you know, senators, representatives— you know, president, high executive officers, judicial functionaries, like any of these guys, but they need to be library people. clerk, <laughs> the library clerk. Exactly. They, they, they need to be proclaiming what the problem is. They need to be proclaiming and mm. we need to return to God. Um, you know, we, we have, we have, we have taken all of the things that should be used to kind of either gotten rid of them or may try to make them illegal or, or whatever. Like, like the president of the United States should be calling for fasts for repentance publicly because of how 
messed up everything is. If not him, governors, right? When, when, um, when in Ohio, if you had a Christian governor, when that, you know, the, the abortion constitutional amendment thing was passed, that it was supposed to protect the ability to murder your child. The governor's response, if you had a Christian governor, would be to call a fast repentance to say, this is an illegal order. I'm going to disobey it. I'm mm. going, I'm going to, I'm going to ignore this as contrary to the law of God because the Bible, either the Bible is higher than the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and the state constitution, or the state is God. Right. And so mm. the Bible is the word of God. It is above those things. And a governor ought to say, this will not stand. I will not allow this. I'm going to stand in the gap. I'm going to protect women from, sorry, I'm going to, I'm going to protect the unborn children from women that want to murder them and from uh, abortion doctors that want to murder them. I mean, abortion doctors are assassins and women who hire an abortion doctor to kill their baby are hiring an assassin. And so that needs to be stopped. Um, the, the things like that, where you'd have this, this stepping in. So that's the, that's the interposition to protect somebody else. But the prophetic word and the calling for repentance, the magistrates are called to speak the truth with boldness. You see this with uh, Dusty Devers is, is yeah. plainly, right? He's got guts. He's showing courage to do this kind of thing, running for office. And, um, and so you, you see that, for example. Um, but there, this idea that somebody, you, you do that. Now, if nobody has the guts to do it, that should tell you something, right? When, if, there's, if there's nobody who has the guts to try to stop ongoing murder, like, what's the problem there? The problem mm -hmm. there is we have a bunch of people who are pretending to be civil magistrates. We're all pretending real hard. And, and so if that's happening, then besides that, there's this, this the priestly function of who should we unite ourselves with in civil order? And we are forbidden from entering into covenants wickedly with people who profane the name of God or people who serve another God. And so a, a civil covenant, right? Israel was forbidden from covenanting with the Baal worshipers and um, making alliances with foreign nations in that way. And you would also have, for example, in the book of Joshua, you have the example where the tribes that were on the east side of the Jordan the people on the west side of the Jordan heard a report that they had built an altar that was not authorized. And so they went and they were ready to go in and, and they were ready to go and bring some judgment and to enforce the covenant against those parties that they thought were violating the covenant. And so this idea of the other parties coming in to see that the covenant is maintained. And so the priestly function of maintaining the holiness of the covenant and that's why, for example, the Constitution of the United States says that the federal government guarantees a Republican form of government to the states. And so there's an idea there of maintaining the rule of law under God uh, that is supposed to be maintained by the federal government, even when a state does it. So if Ohio says, hey, we're going to allow everybody's going to murder babies now, this is a thing, and we're going to protect this under law, the federal government should say, nope, we're going to apply the Equal Protection Clause, and we're going to send in the 101st Airborne to stop the murder of these people. This this is why I think when you were saying earlier that um, God's words above the Constitution, you know, and I I wouldn't let the Constitution, and I, I don't think you are, but I wouldn't let the Constitution hang out there by itself like it's not hitched onto something. I wish it was more, you know, a clearer and very a more bold about its allegiance. But 
Unfortunately, I think some of the leaders of our nation back then could never imagine such a, a horrible slide that we would be on that had baby oil all over it, right? And so, but I, I, the Constitution is what it is because of its allegiance to Christ. And so we're not letting these two slip away from each other. Matter of fact, we want to enshrine very clearly into our Constitution the reality that it lives in, which is submission to Christ. That's what we want to do. So I wouldn't let those two slip because the then all of a sudden uh, we're, we're unintentionally separating the authority. Well, the Fifth Commandment stuff, we're, we're unintentionally separating the um, the hard work that our forefathers and our people before us and Puritans have done to try and build a nation that honors God in every aspect. Right. right. And so we want to keep that. And so I think you're right. But so I interrupted. Go ahead. You so only... The last part, the kingly, lesser magistrates have a duty to provide a Christian law order in their mm. They have a duty. The state has, there's a positive right that citizens have from their state. The state has the, has the right to tax, to take stuff from us. And 10% is a tyrannically high rate. That's what 1 Samuel 8 says, right? Mm. So it must be less than the tithe. The state's not God. And so this idea that, that there needs to be a lawful taxation rate, but they have a duty to provide something with that. They have a duty to provide criminal punishment. They they have to punish criminals. So there's the law order of justice that is to punish criminals. If they are not punishing criminals, they're not providing the thing they have a duty to provide. If they're not providing for defense, they are not providing the thing that they are to provide. And furthermore, if they do not provide basic night watchman functions of, you know, having the guard on the wall, having the night watchman himself, right? There's this idea of of a, of a very minimalistic peace offer t- officer type of functioning, a peace officer. Policing or you know, law enforcement is very different from peace officer function. The peace officer function is looking like a night watchman for trouble that needs to be stopped. That's public. It's kind of broadly out there. Or responding to calls for help, right? And, and so there's this, this night watchman peace officer function of the state. There's the providing of justice through public law courts and then there's the defensive function that that has a small standing guardian force that is the rallying point for the citizen soldiery to be able to form around. And so there's a duty to provide those things and to see that the church is protected and preserved, that households and individuals, their rights are protected. And when there's chaos, there's an emergency duty to endow the church and to see its reformation and then to back away. And so there's this idea of the calling the church to, to see the chaos subdued and a helping to deal with that and the removal of idolatry. And so this idea of, of the church being protected and the protection of the people from this horrific curse that would befall a nation if justice is not administered. And one of the basic ones is given to us very early on is this idea that the state needs to bring the sword to punish people who murder so that Cursed does not befall the land because the blood of the innocent that is that is spilled cries out against the land. And you do not perceive mm. that curse unless you have justice going. We have 60 million murders in this country from abortion that are not protected by law, that are not being resisted, that are not being stopped, they're not being denounced. And that curse will fall on us unless we repent and the Lord brings mercy to us in that. Has so, fallen, has fallen on us, you know. Yeah, is is now is yeah. increasing. Right, it's the Levitical process of the multiplying sevenfold, multiplying sevenfold, multiplying. Mm. 
world. And so that's it. So the prophetic function of calling down wickedness and prophetic lawsuit against itself, this idea of the magistrate stepping in to try to do that and to rally support, the idea of the priestly function of seeking to remove the wicked from association and to, to separate out. And frankly, secession is a thing that godly magistrates should be talking about as a part of the priestly function of maintaining holiness and removing ourselves from wicked alliances. And then the idea of the kingly providing what ought to be there. And so there's either secession or there's a, we're denouncing this thing and we're staying in there. You either are bring, bringing lawful, uh, you know, you're either bringing prophetic lawsuit to try to get repentance or you are separating. You have to do one or the other. It's easy to talk about secession when you've built and accumulated wealth because you've been a faithful man in your house and your family with your economy. It's hard to talk about secession when you depend on all the places that you're about trying that you're talking about seceding from. Right. Like this is a big conversation. And it's the conversation that says, are we from where we're at self-sufficient to do the things that we need to do? Have we been building and living in that type of culture so that when we see the name of Christ? And it doesn't really matter if you have all that stuff or not, because when you see the name of Christ violated, you, you got to stand up, period. But when you are living in that type of way, then it, it makes it really simple for you to say, hey, shut this off. Shut that off. We ain't sending that there. We're done. Like, <laughs> it's like it makes it really a lot easier than trying to figure like, how are we going to survive? Oh, we really going to have to trust God now. It's like, well, if you haven't been trusting him from the beginning to build this type of environment. You know, then when it comes time, I, I love what Toby says, like Shadrach, Meshach, and a bad Negro. He, he always talks about the fact that they practice a long time before they ever got up there to deal with, you know, that moment, that main moment, right? Like, right. there's a lot of little things they did to get to this point. And we always want to go and have the main moment, and we don't do the little things to get up to there. And that's the things that we need to be building. That's the things that we've been talking about. And that's why when we're talking about national covenanting, civic covenanting, what does it look like to live in such a way that what how we live bleeds out? And it's like, I want, oh, David, I know you got to run. So if you got to run, just, just, just go. But I, there was a guy who was saying, who was in the military, special forces guy. And he said, you know what? I left the special forces and I started getting into um, private military uh, escapades where we were going for, and pursuing sex traffickers, right? And he's like, when we, nobody was in the game and when we got in the game, the game got real, real dangerous and everybody got really, really unique and afraid. He's like, and you know, he's like, and I love it that the game got dangerous. And I was listening to him. I was like, wow, you love the fact that you can lose your life in this moment. And, and he goes on to say, because they know we're here now, they function differently. Because we're here, our presence makes them look twice when they go do a deal that we're not there at. Because we've come in and start to blow up stuff, everybody around takes notice and, and they're afraid and they can't function in light <laughs> because they know that we might be around the corner. And I was thinking, I'm like, man, that's the people of God. Right. Like when we are functioning, how we're supposed to be functioning, acting as a prophet, calling down covenant um, lawsuit, acting as a priest to be holy, and then being a king and, and, and applying things properly, providing for our people. When we start functioning like that as a home, as a church, and as a nation, wickedness itself has the ability, will automatically start dissipating because right. it can't, it, it, it becomes, uh, it becomes afraid of being caught. It suppresses wickedness just living that way. And when wickedness comes out to play and everybody's comfortable acting this way, it's because we're not doing our jobs. Right. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. All right, last words. Tell everybody where your website is. Somebody said, is, is um, AR500 Armor going to have, uh, where is it? Uh, they're going to be making available No King But Christ stuff. 
Yes, yeah, so we'll be we're launching the uh, No King But Christ campaign on December fifth. I am a Puritan, so I don't celebrate Christmas. But everybody thinks if you don't celebrate Christmas, it means you hate Jesus. I love Jesus. I love him. He's pretty awesome. Uh, in fact, he's the most awesome. Uh, and so that being the case, we wanted to make sure to make it very clear we were not ashamed of Christ at all. And uh, and celebrate so, Christmas. <laughs> so, so no King but Christ was the campaign we put out there. Um, and, I love how you guys are doing that. And and so. Um, and so then, uh, so armoredrepublic.com, uh, armoredrepublic.com, and then uh, Puritan PHX, come uh, listen to sermons and stuff on there, at Real David Reese on X, so you can uh, follow along my uh, various escapades uh, as I find more people who make English. <laughs> well, you're helping a lot of people, you're helping a lot of people, I really appreciate you joining me on this show, Knox Unleashed, very grateful for you. We have to talk about what to talk about next on Civic Covenanting, is there anything else to talk about on this subject? I think the, the next thing to deal with would be to actually go to civic covenanting itself. Right? So we, we, move, we move to the state, what the civic covenant would look like, and how we can build from there. So we're talking about the process of devolved authority building up in the church, and we've talked about the building up the house, and we've talked about the individual and how they should grow. And so now it's, okay, how do we form civil covenants, and what does that look like? So I want to propose a path that's not us trying to just become president of the United States uh, or trying to just become a governor. I think there's a path that we can build and this path allows us to form things locally and to be able to develop from there. And it requires a lot of leadership from prominent men, elder qualified men, um, from pastors themselves. And uh, I think that what we need to see is ministers pushing for that. And until ministers are meeting together to hammer out covenanted uniformity and to try to actually resolve differences between churches, there's no way we're going to properly form civil covenants. And so this, this is something I think we should talk a lot about how civil covenanting works. And I also think civil covenants can be used to help to encourage the growth of unity between the churches as well. So there's a two-directional piece there. So I'd like to uh, talk about what civil covenanting itself looks like and how that can use to bring about a Christian civil order. Oh, next week. Brother, thank you so much, man. I appreciate you. This has been phenomenal. Like always. So thank good. Me. Lord bless yeah, you. yeah, yeah. All right. Y'all know what to do. Uh, go check out my sponsor for Knox Unleash. Uh, I love this lady. She's so good. She sends me great stuff. Great stuff for my wife. Um, newhearttreasures.com. Get you some Bible verses for your house to hang up. It's beautiful art. Make uh, Pastor David Reese very happy by hanging up Bible verses. And, uh, you know, just kind of like tattoo them to your eyelids and stuff like that. And they hang up in your house. Same thing, right? All right. Until next week, uh, we have a show for Knox Unplug with Jason Farley. Man, we're talking about priestly duties. It's fun. Um, so we have that. And, oh, we have tonight, we have, I just love this song. <laughs> tonight on the show, we have, um, oh, what's, what is the name? Um, Butterfield, Rosaria Butterfield. <laughs> well, that was horrible. I'm sorry, Rosaria. Rosaria Butterfield's on the show tonight for uh, Cross Politics. Don't miss that show. It is phenomenal. She is a blessing to the church. Really enjoyed having her on the show. And so you guys check that out tonight. Don't forget, Knox Unleash is not a daily show right now because God has blessed me so much. I don't have the time to do a daily show at the moment. But as soon as I get done, I got three projects I got to nail for the pub app. So I'm working on those right now to get those out. As soon as I am done with all of those, I will be back to doing a daily show. 
So probably not until the next year sometime, uh, beginning of the year. So for right now, go ahead and download the Pub app. Become a Fight, Laugh, Feast club member, a pub member, and enjoy all the content out there. I just finished some content on the cooking show. It is going to be awesome. You'll have a taste of that on Monday on the Cross Politics show. Uh, so with that said, where's my Godfather music? Enjoy your weekend. Don't forget to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. Dad said it in the thing. Yeah.